Well, we had the pleasure of getting a uh, remote tour of Matt Ray's office uh, right before we recorded. <laughs> we don't actually record video uh, because the bandwidth I have to my house is terrible. And, uh, you know, we want to save the tubes. But, you know, I didn't actually get a very good look at your door, Matt Ray, but it looked a little bit like you have those weird, narrow European uh, locks on it. You know, like that's kind of like a weird, it kind of protrudes out. Do you have the, what does the lock look like on your door? You know, everything in Australia is weird. <laughs> the, uh, uh, I, it's just a regular door. It's just a, a doorknob. Um, you're you're up, you're upsetting the natives. No, no. Yeah, um, but yeah, the the fixtures are usually a mix of uh, European and uh, English things. Um, uh, the, uh, my my wife's been pointing out all the little strange differences between between America and and Australia, and there's a lot of just little details that you're like, where did this come from? You know, every power plug has has an on off switch. Whoa! You know, to, yeah. Exactly. I could use some right? of that. <laughs> uh, and they've got these, you know, these three prong uh, power jacks that uh, China uses, but Japan and the U.S. and England don't. So that's strange. So wait, they don't um, have they don't have American power jacks. Nope. No, oh. and it's two forty volt instead of one twenty, or one twenty instead of two forty. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a completely mixed up place over here yeah i'm surprised well you know but it's summer <laughs> but that's what's important it's summer right it isn't aren't you enjoying your beautiful summer now as we cote and i freeze in, in our horrible winter up here well you'll be happy to know that i'll be there uh well i think i leave about 24 hours from now um uh, but yeah i was at the beach a couple times this week it's it's been nice uh i think i, I posted some photos on uh on uh on the old facebook of, of santa coming up the beach oh yeah so maybe we'll put those in the show notes <laughs> but yeah it's it's summer here um nice and warm uh going to the beach a couple times during a week uh yesterday we went to the opera house caught a play or caught, cut the circus mm. um i yeah it's uh it's beautiful now is this that iconic opera house that looks like kind of like a shell or whatever it is <laughs> uh, yeah that'd be kind of sad if there were like two opera houses in sydney and one was like the crappy one right. <laughs> no no the crappler house the, this, yeah the, the crappler house uh, we saw the the circus 1903 at the uh Ooh. at the sydney opera house so it's kind of like a cirque du soleil without the the freaky paint body paint mm. um you know lots of acrobats and uh no animals but uh it it, it was it was very entertaining yeah, now, and the opera house is it's a beautiful venue. Now, yeah. now, is there just like I am sure that in New Zealand there is just like a celebration and acknowledgement of the Power Rangers? Do they, when you're there in the Sydney Bay, do they like acknowledge Nemo very much? Because doesn't that happen in Nemo? Did is that a? Do they have some <laughs> statues or anything there? <laughs> I have I have yet to see a statue for Nemo. Um, I, I have been. Uh, uh, looking out for the memorial pool for the the president who drowned on the ocean. <laughs> ooh, ooh, that's rough. <laughs> but but I think that's in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, no, I haven't seen much for Nemo. But I think uh, if you look up the address from Finding Nemo uh, on Google Maps, it's an actual picture of a dentist office, and he's got a or, or an actual office, and the sign says like dentist office upstairs. Oh, and they're, nice. they're yeah. So somebody's actually you know having fun with that, but. A little fact checking for your Finding Nemo uh, fanatics out there. Uh, Sydney's not near the Great Barrier Reef, oh. so it's actually <laughs> it's actually really far away. I mean, maybe you got to get on that Turtle Express or something, but yeah, you're not anywhere close. It was like a four hour flight. To that the that Great must Barrier have been Reef. that must have been some pre Pixar Disney integration situation because I know those you those, know, those Pixar people wouldn't have screwed it up. They you know, like I, yeah, my yeah, understanding I, is they're perfect. Somewhere, somewhere, and and you know, a uh, assistant uh, assistant director for continuity. Uh, their job is is over. See, this is what happens when you give people time off. Is is you get screw ups like that in there? They should have just been working through it. You know, they're as as Elon is it Elon or Elon? I get it mixed up. As as Elon Musk likes to say, there's plenty of time to spend time with family when we're bankrupt. I think that's uh, that's a motto <laughs> we can all live by. I'll visit my children on on Mars. I think that's what he says. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Get my children back to Mars. 
Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they uh, they're very uh, very serious about their holidays here. We are we're coming into summer break here. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone uh, in the U.S. You know, most things kind of shut down in late July, August. You know, you don't. There's there's definitely a, a downturn. Um, here it's pretty much to the end of January, and and people are already shutting it down. Um, so for the next five or six weeks, nothing's happening in Australia. Wow. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much uh, Australia Day, which is January 26th. That's like the marker for when you get start thinking about going back to work. Now, now do and, they, and that's, do, that's a Thursday, so you might as well call it the whole week. Do, so. do they do they pay the same? <laughs> well, uh, I, I guess. I mean, I'm I'm still you know I'm still technically a, a U.S. employee, uh, mm. so. You know, um, yeah, I think they pay the same. I mean, the uh, Australian tax rate is a little bit higher than than the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. Probably a lot higher, uh, but uh, you know, the salaries are good here, um, and you know, businesses are all doing fairly well. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just, and, and that's not for all of you know APAC. You know, all for uh, Asia Pacific Japan. You know, it's because New Zealand; those folks are getting back to work in January. They, you know, I've, I've got some requests for meetings and calls and, yeah. and, but then they're like, Oh wait, you're in Australia. We'll talk to you guys in February. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I have to admit, I am, I am neither wealthy nor smart enough to pay no taxes. So I'm going to have to pay taxes anyways. And, and I, maybe I should figure Australia out. That sounds great. You get basically like a whole month and a half off. The whole country just shuts down. That sounds like. Well, you yeah, I mean it's it's summer break, so they uh, instead of having was it two and a half months off like the U.S. Uh, for for summer for you know kids in school for summer the rest of us working stiffs got to work, um, you know the the kids get six weeks and then but they also have two weeks between quarters or you know they call them terms here so you get maybe more vacation spread out more over the year. Mm. Wow, wow, well yeah. We got to sort and it out, Brandon. We're, we're yeah, doing we're doing beat. it wrong over here. I think uh, we'll just say Australia wins. Yeah, I think that's the way we summarize that. Australia <laughs> won that round. At least <laughs> yeah, there, they I, won. Yeah, but uh, you know, you guys are gonna at least maybe you have a white Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I think I think in, in today's current political climate means something more more different than uh, in the past. <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Australia's got a little bit of that too. So, oh, blimey! Well, <laughs> I, I as as we were saying last episode, I was talking to someone who uh, who described their their recent listening behavior to this episode as binge listening, which which is a, a delightful idea. So, as happened for some of you about five minutes ago, we we said we were going to have a uh, a prediction show here, which we'll roll into. It's a they get a 2017 coming up, but. I think there's a few little news items to go over at first. I, you know, the, the, I, I have to admit, I watched more, uncharacteristically, I watched more of an A16Z piece of content than I read of this article. But what did catch me about this little, uh, there's some, some inside look into, into GitHub. And it looks like mm-hmm. they, uh, someone needs to go to media training or was purposely letting, uh, s- stuff <laughs> slip out, which is fine. That works too. But Matt Ray, I'm assuming, you read all of this article. All I want to say yeah. is it looks like they lost $66 million in 2016. Now, I don't use that, it. That was, that was through Q3. Oh, through Q3. Okay. So, 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 that's so Q4, the, they probably turned it around. I mean, their Christmas party is <laughs> going to be pretty boss, right? Like, let's see. So 66, I, I should probably be able to do this math in my head. That's, uh, that's uh, what is that, $22 million a quarter? So if we add $22 million back into there, we're looking at... $88 million run rate of uh, red right there, basically, uh, that you could predict. Now, now I don't use GitHub. I think maybe you, Matt Ray, use it. But I have to imagine that that is really hard. That basically, if you put a copy of Subversion on the cloud for it to cost you $66 million, unless some assholes like updating really big JPEGs every day. Like, I don't know oh, wow. what... What would you spend sixty six million dollars on? <laughs> well, Cote. Uh yeah. So, so, so the 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 article you're talking about uh, was in Bloomberg, you know, the the business uh, newspaper magazine thing. Um, and uh, yeah, they, I mean, they talked about how they have almost seven hundred employees, I think, or maybe oh. it was eight hundred. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, they've, they've gone aggressive on worldwide expansion. Yeah. Uh, they've got a lot of salespeople. Um, okay. But that, that answers also... the question. They've got a big field. I mean, those, those you know, GitHub Australia doesn't pay for itself, as we've established. No, but, but you know, there's definitely uh, a lot of GitHub folks here. You know, I've, I've, I've run into a bunch of them. Um, and, yeah, it uh, – I mean, the article talks about, you know, they haven't been – the most coherent, I think there was uh, a quote in there about, uh, um, you know, well, what happened to 2015? Um, so, and then the uh, the co-founder and chief executive said, uh, nothing was getting done, maybe. Oh, wait, I shouldn't have said that. Strike that. <laughs> so the parallels of giving interviews on the record, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I, they, they, I think they've raised about $220 million in VC, something like that. So... You know they're going through it at a rapid clip, um, but they've you know they've got they've got the ubiquity right. They've got some crazy number of daily users, mm-hmm. uh, but as you said, you know that is a lot of a lot of JPEGs. Um, I think I saw that they just introduced bandwidth caps for some of the uh, content. Mm. Um, so so yeah, they they are they obviously have a lot of large infrastructure bills. Um, yeah. They're running you know and, you know, and a and, lot of stuff. And and to be fair, instead of my playful. Uh sardonicness uh, or whatever uh like i can see that if you had if if you very rapidly built up what i would describe as for their scale of full enterprise salesforce sure you could you could burn up to that end i mean there's also a lot of mustache wax they need probably but like that is that you know salespeople aren't cheap and uh you know depending on your per diem they're just not cheap to like keep uh keep fed so i i could tell it now my other my only my pushback to that would be you know going back to australia like I would have have assumed that like the I don't know if it's a myth or reality, but like by like the uh, the heralded Atlassian marketing and sales budget. I haven't looked at their numbers, but like, I mean, like how much selling of GitHub needs to happen? Let me rephrase that. If you are a large enterprise, uh, because I assume only large enterprises like wouldn't would have problems using GitHub. Everyone else is like, what are you talking about? I use it. But so if you're a large enterprise or government, um. How is it that having uh, a sales and marketing person will convince you otherwise to use GitHub if you don't already think you should be using it, right? I mean, and and I don't mean that in a sarcastic because we have this problem at Pivotal, right? Like you've got to go in and and like convince people about like wildcard DNS and all this stuff and and whatever, and it's sort of like you know I, I shouldn't get into that, but it's it's annoying uh, for for people who just want to use the product. Uh, but it seems like GitHub is a little sort of like a known quantity that mm-hmm. worst case scenario, I guess worst case scenario, you accidentally store customer data in there, right? Like, cause you, if you're all DevOps crazy, you would store like your, your production configuration and then you should also not have your secrets in there, right? But you know, people do it accidentally as, as has been shown. And now you have your source code in there, so you might be paranoid about that, but it's just sort of, and then they even have GitHub Enterprise. So it's kind of like, it doesn't seem like, it seems like if I, if I were uh, some fancy pants VC having been pitched this, in my mind, it would be like, it should cost me kind of nothing to sell in marketing this, right? Like it, <laughs> it, it does, it sells in marketings itself. And also yeah. they would have gotten funding in 2012. Is that right? I forget how old they are. And at that time, like Atlassian was at its height of like, we have no sales and marketing this. And so that was like the core belief confound, not confounded, but compounded by a, uh, the sort of like open source is going to take over the world and the self-service of AWS. So it just seems like what's going on that you got to like blow that much money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think we got to like deconstruct it because it kind of comes back to, you know, the article references that they're making about 70 million, uh, recurring revenue from big clients, I assume like the large clients, and then they've got in their self-service business, they said it's around 52 million. So let's just say, let's call that one 140 million, right? So they're making about 140 million a year in you know recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. So doesn't seem crazy, seems reasonable. And to your point, like the the core question then is just how big a market is this so yeah. once once all the self i mean cuz the developers are paying right they're paying the people we we're talking about are the the self service guys are paying you know upwards of 52 million the question is like is that going to be 
500 million or a billion, right? And I think that's my guess is to their investors, they've sold, you know, we're going to be a billion dollar revenue in, you know, five years. And so if you want to do that and you want to do it in five years, then that's going to require a lot of sales and marketing to aggressively get there if the market really is that big. So I think with all these questions, it's not that it isn't like, again, if someone just gave you this business, it's $140 million of recurring revenue. And you said, well, let's maybe just operate it with 200 employees, you know, or maybe a hundred, you know, you know, could you do it? Could you not do it? But you know, that's how you become profitable if that's what they want. So I think the question forward, I mean, the core question here is how much are people willing to pay over a long period of time? And is this going to be a billion dollar company or a hundred million dollar company? Well, that's yeah. And, and yeah, and you're not gonna you're not gonna double that online presence by marketing and selling your way to it. There you go. Everyone knows what GitHub is. You know, GitHub.com, they got it. But it's not like, oh my gosh, I have to host twice as much private content next year, and you know, now they're gonna sell a hundred million of that. So that that's probably slow organic growth. You know, it probably has some you know, some uh, absurd number, like, you know, only 20% annual growth. <laughs> and, and so they have to, where they have to go make their money is in the enterprise. And the enterprise, that's where Atlassian is. You know, and Atlassian's been selling to the enterprise. They've been undercutting GitHub Enterprise on pricing. I, I think that's what it said. Uh, you know, but but Atlassian is already in those markets. They, they're selling a unified platform, not just like, oh, we host your source, but also, you know, we tied in, to, you know, they're selling that, that ALM lifecycle stuff of, you know, oh yeah, we got your wiki, we've got your testing tools, we've got your developer tools, you know, all that stuff ties together into a bigger story. And oh, by the way, you're already giving us this much money. Well, how about you just throw a little bit more and we'll, call, you know, we'll give you Bitbucket Enterprise. And now, you know, you don't have to pay those GitHub guys. And, you know, you've been using us for those years. So, that's where the battle is, right? And then you've got the the scrappy GitLab guys who are like, oh yeah, we have you know, if all you want is this, we'll undercut you know GitHub Enterprise and you know without uh, without the budget. Mm. Without the- and it's interesting. <laughs> it looks like the Alassian revenue uh, was about four hundred and fifty million last year. So it kind of gives you an idea of you know really they're about double, maybe triple the size of at least what we know of GitHub, right? So that would say that people are probably more willing and more used to paying for the kind of the life cycle, you know, um, product backlog, you know, that whole uh, set of tools rather than they are just for the source control side of it. At least that's yeah. what, you know, we're looking at right now. And, um, and, but and I do not- think, but to Coach's point, one thing, you know, I've been into so many of these meetings, kind of these like triangles of death, I like to think about it as, you know, I think you made the classic, um, in a good way, I, I very much agree with it, but I, I get in trouble with it. Like the the marketing argument in these meetings is always like, listen, people know who we are, right? We people know about this tool. It isn't because usually it starts if you're in the meeting. It usually starts with like, well, nobody knows about what we have. If we only had more awareness than people would be willing to buy, right? And that's usually somewhere in the marketing department is like, no, 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 people know. They've just decided they didn't want to buy it, right? And then <laughs> that goes back into the product side and the engineering side is like, well. We've built the right features. We we don't need this, you know, life cycle agile tracking stuff. That's a waste of time. We don't. That's not our market, right? And yeah. the sales guys is and so they're kind of saying like, well, we've got the right features. And the marketing people are saying, well, people know. And then everyone's looking at sales, and sales is like, hey, I don't have enough leads of people that want to buy, <laughs> right? And, this, and they kind of point back and say to the product guys, this, this thing doesn't have the right products. It doesn't have the right features, and they would quote Alassian and they'd be like, well, Alassian has got all this stuff. And then they'd turn around right around and yell at the marketing person. And we're not at the right conferences and we don't have the right blogs and we need to be, we need some more uh, data sheets. We got some more data sheets. We'd be winning. So, you know, it's just like, that's the way the fight usually goes. And I'm sure this is going on at GitHub and that's why they've hired 700 people to fight to the death over that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, those are all good explanations. And, and I mean, they still have like the one product only, right, Matt Ray? Like, well, they, they have. I mean, they got. They have, they, have, they have online. They. Ha, I mean, they have a get a hosted Git thing with the social component that's either behind the firewall or on the public cloud, right? I mean, I mean, or they have yeah. other. Okay, okay. So, which, I, yeah, that that's it. Which is fine. So maybe maybe like everyone else, they're developing new products. What would go really nice with that would be like a continuous integration delivery pipeline. You know, could could be mm. could be. So, but anyway, yeah. Who who knows? 
who knows? That that is the triangle of death. I like that. But so I don't have the details of this, but I happen to have pulled up the Gartner Enterprise Software Forecast for the Q2 of 2016. And it and now the top level category that they would fit in, ALM, I think is the application development uh category. But that would also include tools you pay for uh programming languages, notably mainframe ones that you still have to pay a lot for, all sorts of other stuff. I wish I had the breakout, but I don't. And it looks like their estimate was that in twenty sixteen that market was almost ten billion dollars, nine point nine billion. And in twenty twenty, it's gonna be eleven point three billion. Now that's a CAGR of 3.5% growth each year goes to show you like, man, just a few percentage points of growth each year is awesome. Uh, that's, you know, Munger would tell you that, but anyways, so if you carve out, so if they're, if they're going to hit a billion of revenue, uh, what was it by what year, Brandon? Like, uh, well, it's or, always five years from the day it is right. So yeah. it's, uh, so this would be 20, let's say 2020, uh, well, 2017. Yeah. Let's, okay. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So, so they, they, they would gobble up, uh, what would that be? Um, a little, little over a 10th of, uh, of, of that, that larger market there, but you know, that's so, uh, sure. <laughs> that, so, so does it feel like you know when they made when they made the VC pitch with that big di- um you know that hockey chart behind them? I think they probably had more passion, Kote, than you did. They probably yeah. were like, no, and we're going to do it, and we're definitely going to do it. It's almost done. Now, so, now there, there's there's two affecting things on this. Just to give a little a little peek into uh, at least the way I think of strategy, right? You've got uh, I'm going to use phrases that my poor striving MBA friends uh, I don't know if I have any would would use, and that is headwinds and tailwinds. I love those phrases, right? My own my only my only favorite nonsense financial phrase is uh, what do they say? They're like the market was down because of secular concerns or something like that. There's some word they use, and you're like, what does that even mean? It's not. I don't know if it's secular. It's like peri- periodic. What are the two types of plants? Perennials and the other one, the the ones that only grow once. Yeah, I don't know. It's some sort of secular headwinds or tail tail who nannies. So you've got positive. The positive effect might be that I'm pretty sure this this uh, this forecast does not include public cloud, right? So it's actually only a small percentage. So you could make the case that the public cloud revenue uh, is massive and is going to be a lot more uh, than than is represented here. This is true. That the headwind that's the negative one, right? The 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 thing that would push it back is you could also suggest that. Well, uh, if we look at the amount of money that people pay for clear, clear pace, what's it, what's the IBM one called? Clear case. Clear, clear case. case. And, yeah. uh, Perforce and, uh, you got the Visual Studio, whatnot. Like for your traditional tools, those are probably two to three times higher than the licenses you pay for GitHub. So the market you're creating is actually lower per unit. So unless you're going to increase the volume of developers more than you're you're having the the price there, then you're going to ha- have a smaller tam. tam. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not definitively saying that with a single product company like GitHub you couldn't reach a billion dollars in revenue. But as I'm fond of reminding people, I think Red Hat has like five billion in revenue, right? And they've got a gigantic portfolio, so it's uh mm-hmm. it's hard to get to get up there. Well, I think what you highlighted there is just the, the, the optimist case, right? Or, you know, the, uh, the bull case is simply if you're at the GitHub board meeting, you would say something like, Hey, we are actively recruiting people that have never bought any type of, you know, source control ever before. Mm-hmm. Those people are being added to the market every single day and we have the right solution. And yeah, I, li- I like that. IT software is eating the world. We're just going to have more and more developers coming in over the next five to ten years, and that's going to what drive us to the billion dollars, right? Essentially, the the market's going to get a lot bigger because we are the entry point, the gateway drug for professional developers who want to make money. So that's definitely the bull case. Oh, the I, I, like, I like that, brand. That's good. That's good. Yeah, and that would be kind of like the red monk. You know, this this red is monk. this developers is our most important, right? So, and then the the bear case is just simply like, hey guys, you just overestimated your total addressable market here, and you're never going to get to where you want to go. Yeah, great business that'll eventually be sold to private equity once you've kind of like given up <laughs> on uh once you've kind of given up on all your hopes and dreams of being a billion dollar company and you're you're okay being a 300 dollars million company and you'll you know it's still do okay so so now i'm i'm getting this information from google so who knows if it's true but <laughs> i i went i went to finance.google.com to look up red hat and and it looks like at the 12 months ending uh february of 2016 they had two billion in revenue so i was i was a little over exuberant there so, right. and we would just say Red Hat is at this point twenty years old. 
Is that right? Give uh, or take, like you, maybe. It can take a long time to get there. Right? And, and at least at least for the Linux market, they have an astoundingly high market share. I think SUSE and I don't, is there anyone else? And, and Canonical are like, represent maybe 10, at most 15% of the market, if, if I remember, maybe 20. But so, I, I mean, Red Hat has a, a uncharacteristically large position of, of a key market they're in. And I don't know what the representation in JBoss is and things like that. But yeah, it's hard to make lots of money in software. That's uh, <laughs> especially when it's, it's mostly free. Yeah, that, that that sounds like a prediction for 2017. <laughs> Anyhow, I mean, I if if you know, it seems like what GitHub basically needs to uh, uh, increase their uh, their the people using it, as Brandon was pointing out, and and it, and and I don't know, maybe we should segue into predictions. It, it would make sense for them to acquire some companies, like if they you said they had 230 million in funding and they lost 66. Let's assume they let's assume they've lost 100 million, uh, basically. So they still got like 120 million left, and. And you right. could, you could, and their equity is probably is worth things to people. And so you could, uh, you could do some sort of like munging there. And, you know, you have someone like a cloud bees. What are they doing? Right. Like they're hanging out. You could get yourself a continuous integration thing. You got like Travis CI and I don't even know who's in that space anymore, but there's a lot of interesting assets that you could, uh, I, I think, I think I, I always hesitate to uh, use the word synergies, but there would be a lot more synergies with uh, GitHub than than you would normally expect. And in this instance, meaning a synergy would be if I acquire this company, how is it that that company's uh, assets, that company's business will make more money than by being owned by me than if they were independent? And, you know, yeah, it's a little it's a little selling like the National Enquirer on the grocery store checkout line. But like you could basically be like, ah, you want some batteries with that? Right, like you could kind of like well, sell some and, additional stuff, and, and they almost have the same problems that Docker has, where mm. the things that you think that they would expand into, someone's already beaten them there. Oof. Right, like they're like, oh, you know what? We've got this nice IDE that we've been working on called Atom, and we're going to open source that, and maybe we start to make an IDE play, and then you know, six months later, Atom is now called Visual Studio Code. Ugh. <laughs> plus, plus. And, and it's it's open sourced by somebody who who isn't competing head to head with you. They're competing with their cloud. Yeah. Pl- plus, and, to in, in, inject some more facts into our current fact free climate. Like like so, we look at Atlassian and again. I got this from Google. I'm not sure if it's true. Could be fake news. But it looks like in 2013, Atlassian made 148 million. And then if you zoom up to uh, let's see, I guess their fiscal year ends in June, so 2016 of uh, uh, June. They had just shy of five hundred million, four hundred fifty-seven uh, million dollars in revenue. So, and they've been around a long time too. But I mean, they they have a bevy of products named with all sorts of, you know, Alassian does a pretty good job at not being too cutesy with their product name, yeah. which I have to say I appreciate. I mean, Bamboo is a little like I don't know what's going on there, but like the most of their names, pretty good. They're they're pretty stable. Yep. Yeah. And, and and you know they could try to acquire CI/CD, but they've got a huge ecosystem around them of you know small CI/CD vendors yeah. who you know do everything to work with GitHub. And if you you know you could acquire one, but what are you going to do? You, you know if you acquire Travis or you know Circle or somebody like that, it's like now you have something that lots of people give away for free. Yeah, Atlassian also current market cap five point four eight billion. Very nice. There you go. So I'm sure if anyone's left listening, now we have the predictions part of our show. <laughs> it's n- nothing, nothing is more exciting than hearing me read off numbers from spreadsheets <laughs> yeah. and Google Finance. I'm sure that just I, I, quickens the blood. Yeah, I think. I think this is this is our, our segue into. Cote working in, in product strategy for <laughs> for Atlassian in 2017. <laughs> oh, very nice. Very nice. Well, no, we almost never. we almost deleted all of our uh, our show notes, but thankfully, I used Apple Z. Anyways, oh. yeah, you know I've never actually talked to the GitHub people. I'm sure I'm sure they're fun. I've seen picture. I remember way back when there was a picture of their office, which looked awesome, and 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 then there was a bunch of nasty news about them. But I haven't really uh, checked into that in a while. Yeah. So so 2017. Uh, we've already discussed my, my plans for, you know, the first month, uh, mostly involves vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, uh, going back to the to the U.S. Uh, tomorrow, and uh, you know, a couple weeks in Austin, gonna spend some time in Seattle, yeah, then back to Australia, Tasmania. Um, you know, I, my plans are uh, gonna gonna make this this Australia Pacific Japan thing work, um, at least for the year. Uh, that that's what I got planned. But I think uh, when it comes to the bigger industry things that are gonna happen. Uh, I, I have some not so bold predictions. <laughs> now, now let me let me let me just before you get to that, let me just ask you. So you've been uh, you've been over there like three months now, right? Two months? How long? Uh, six. Six months, <laughs> right? See, as 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 I've proven in this episode, very good at estimating things. <laughs> Excellent. I'm great at it. Uh, so, whew, man, I should I, should, I need to <laughs> I need to go back and reread that book, How to Measure Anything, and see uh, see if I can yeah. succeed. I'm 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 listening to the audio version as as Brandon would have me do of thinking slow and fast and that that book's kind of a piece of work but it's given me some stuff to think about. So, what, what since you've been in this area for six months, what's your what would be like your APAC prediction? What's going on over there? Like, what's your sense of what they're going to be doing over the next year? Um, you know, so so here in in Sydney, uh, Google just opened uh, a, a data center. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alibaba just opened a data center. Um, Amazon has a lot more of a head start than, than all the, uh, the smaller cloud players. Um, at the, uh, the DevOps day, Sydney, we, we had the session on, on, uh, container orchestration. The question came up, you know, who's, who's using, uh, which container orchestrators in production. And first they tried to break it down into, you know, individual ones. And then, you know, for clarification, like, wait a second, nobody's actually doing it. It was, you know, Five out of sixty people were actually running containers, um, you know, what they considered in production. So, uh, you know, I think, I think Australia specifically is is a very good um, kind of kind of like Austin, where it's not the crazy bleeding edge of of Silicon Valley, where you know people are like containers. You know, that's so twenty fifteen. You know, we've moved on to unikernels. Whereas you know everyone else is still trying to wrap their heads around it, um, so I, I think I think Australia will you know, continue to mainstream a lot of the more esoteric things. You know, there's still a lot of migration to cloud. Um, there's still a lot of healthy skepticism around containers. You know, they haven't you know taken off like wildfire here, but it's a very uh, it's it's a good proxy market to you know see the the fights that are happening in other places. You know, Amazon is invested heavily here. Microsoft's invested heavily here. Lots of people moving into uh, the market. Um, you know, GitHub's here. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think you know it's just a good place to see the enterprise market adopt technology outside of Silicon Valley. Yeah, that's that's kind of my my take. And but but there's there's a tremendous amount of confusion. You know, people still not sure what to do, what's going to, you know, how things are going to shake out. And, you know, meanwhile, uh, traditional enterprise vendors will you know cash their checks and renew, get their renewals uh, until you know they get disrupted. So well, now, now that sounds good. But but I didn't ask about the North American market. Matt Ray. <laughs> Zing. Oh. Zing. Yeah. Zing. Whoa, it's, that yeah. joke just writes itself right there. Hey. Yep, yep. Thank you. Hey now. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, Australia's not that different, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. No, that's but great. since we've spent so much time this past year talking about containers, like what is I think we talked about this a little bit last time, but like I guess I would just say maybe this is not a bold prediction, simply that Kubernetes seems to be in twenty seventeen it will it will assert its dominance in the container management platform um, going forward. That would be, I think, any if you're not based on Kubernetes, then you're facing an uphill climb. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I think on the developer mindshare, I would agree with that. I think the the corner is going to turn for Kubernetes over Docker uh, with the developer mindshare. I think Mesos um, appears a little bit on the outside looking in, but they've got a good head start in enterprise sales. And I think enterprise sales are where, you know, obviously that's where the money is. And, and so Red Hat throwing in their, their stock with Kubernetes with, you know, basing OpenShift off it. I think, I think that's, that's pretty big. Um, 
but I still think we're more than a year away from it really getting that mainstream. It just it, right now it's it's one of those things that you know gets sprinkled into deals like oh yeah we sold those guys some container stuff, and I bet the adoption is I, I bet sales outpaces adoption. Mm. Well, what else? What are your other predictions? <laughs> go, go. Uh, well, such, yeah, a, such I, is I, the nature of a prediction show. You've got to like. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Um, um, I, I think Amazon uh, continues to maintain their dominance. It's not exactly, um, you know, that's not exactly going out on a limb. But I think uh, some of their recent moves, not not just like oh, they're outpacing everyone on the product side, but they're doing things to defend their ter- their turf. You know, they're 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 getting. They're learning to play better with partners. Uh, well, except for managed service providers. Um, they're, <laughs> they're, they're making more outreach to partners. Uh, they are making more outreach to open source. I think that you know, they're starting to try to um, protect their turf rather than you know, it being just as much of a land rush. They're like, hey, we've claimed this 75 80% market share. Let's make sure nobody, you know, let's throw up some moats. Let's get you know let's dial up the lock-in factor and you know the way we do that is we're friendlier to integrators and we we push hard on the um the serverless story you know the the uh uh the lambda store you know we anything you can do to to tie into our data center without being able to to get out you know we push the data gravity with the snowball uh, we drive the semi up to your, your data center. You know, we get you out of that data center. We get you onto Amazon. We throw up a lot of fences to make it less attractive to leave. You know, it's not that you know, oh, you know, we have this great lock-in. It's like, hey, Amazon's actually not as bad as people said they were. Mm. You know, subtle distinction, I, but I, I think they're I like, like learning. With others. I like yeah. the managed service angle we talked about last time. It seems like a, a, a good way to just like suck up everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I, I I haven't you know I haven't had a chance to talk to many MSPs yet about that. But where else? I mean, maybe that makes Azure more attractive as a partner. Um, but Amazon just has so much market dominance, you know. Um, so I. I don't see, you know, I, I don't see like a, a big shuffling of, of, you know, Google catching up with Azure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think Azure, you know, probably grows, you know, substantially, but I don't know if they change that as a percentage wise. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's good. Yeah. Stuff. And, and I, th- I think, I think, I think, you know, fourth and fifth are dwindling. Yeah. Uh. So, so basically you got, uh, you got Kubernetes or however you say it. Be- becomes uh, becomes a leader in the container orchestration space. Yeah, and, but I, I and I I think Amazon's play with blocks. I think that's a good idea. Um, and then and then, yeah, and think, then you got uh, you have continual just like grabbing by Amazon that just just takes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and and, and you know they are exceedingly diverse. You know they 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 they're covering off on everything they can, which makes you know moving to their platform a little confusing but everyone knows that like that's where all the action is so mm. it doesn't you know it doesn't really hurt them yet um and i so and i think 2017 they they look to make sure that that doesn't become a problem you know that's that's my uh not so bold prediction is amazon does well <laughs> good one <laughs> how, how about how about yourself brandon what predictions do you have let's see i've got a couple uh simple ones i think uh, some news today that several uh, Twitter executives have chosen to uh, depart the company to uh, spend time with families and to pursue other great opportunities they just couldn't pass up. So that means in 2017, I believe discount shopping for Twitter will be Twitter will be on sale finally. And I'm going I'm going to go back to I think I probably predicted this last year. I'm going to say it again this year. Twitter will be acquired, and I still believe it will be acquired by Google in 2017. Um, and the price is rapidly coming down. And I think every in the uh, what is it they say like don't catch a, a falling knife. You know, I think eventually Twitter is no longer a falling knife. It's a good value, especially for Google, who has never really had success in you know kind of social media sites. So mm. I believe they're going to do it. This is the year. So 
I'm not saying buy Twitter stock. I'm saying it's going to go down. <laughs> and remember that. I'm not saying don't don't you average investor do anything. Just everyone else wait till Google buys it. So uh, that was one. And then uh, the other one, I, I really kind of just cheated. And you know, uh, I just go to uh, Andreessen Horowitz and I just watch their videos. That's what I like to do. And they have some good ones. They have the growth on the edge. So this isn't so much a prediction for next year, but um, you know, he, he's provocatively titled his uh, talk like "The End of Cloud Computing" and the return to the edge. And it's definitely it's thirty minutes. It's worth watching. It's really well done um, presentation. And you know, I would. I think his point he was just making is that the we're always in a cycle of kind of distributed computing versus edge computing, right? And you know, obviously, you start with the mainframe. Everything was, um, I guess, centralized, right? Kind of the cloud computing model, and then we went to PCs. And there's a million different life cycles in there. And I think the point he made around you know the coming onslaught of you know IoT, which I hate, but I think the the most tangible thing that he said that I think brought it home for me were. Just imagine sensors and everything, and he had a good little stat. It was, I think he said um, your average car, when it drives a mile, um, you know, it collects about one, I think, ten gigs worth of data. Which, and his point was, you know, that that amount of data and uh, analyzing that is going to force kind of a return to edge computing, right? You're not going to like suddenly take all this data and ship it off to the cloud and you know wait for some um, determination of like should you turn right should you turn left is that a cat is that a stop sign that kind of stuff and so I thought it was really interesting if, you know because of Matt Ray just kind of outlined and I agree with you know Amazon's going to continue to dominate and I think as we've seen before right as Ben Thompson our friend from uh, Stratechery would say it's it's you know it's the logical decisions that get you in trouble, right? Amazon's going to dominate the the cloud computing model, but it's going to leave an opening for kind of this edge computing kind of stuff. And I think you're going to see a lot of companies try to go after that, building out different types of edge computers, different ways to analyze this data. And of course, it has all the uh, appropriate buzzword words like machine learning and all that kind of stuff going on with it as well. So I think you're going to see a big set of investments in edge computing and machine learning at the edge in the coming year. He even has one of my favorites, Colonel Boyd's OODA loop, which is sort of oh, like, uh, yeah. I think, I think, I think Colonel Boyd's OODA loop is like the, uh, the truffle oil of, of like, you know, IT strategy stuff, which is to say, like, it's found anywhere where you just want like an instant fancying up of something, which, which is, which is nice. It's like, <laughs> you want to make these fries better? Truffle oil. Like, you want that beef to be better? Truffle oil. Like you can just put yep. truffle oil yep. in anything and then raise the price a little bit. But I'm up slide deck, OODA loop, bam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I think I think you hit on the uh, uh, the the idea in there. Now, now in in true style, I watched about two thirds of this before I stopped. Uh, but hey, uh, you, you know, I'm I'm trying. I'm trying to improve. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think the point you hit was, was, uh, was a good insight of his that like, if you're doing real time decisioneering, then, uh, you know, the networks aren't fast enough or reliable enough. Yeah. So you gotta do, you gotta do it down there, which, which, yeah. uh, which makes sense. I like that. Well, and, and, you know, Amazon released the, the green grass stuff and, and the snowballs, uh, doing IOT, you know, they know. Yeah. yeah. What's, what's the green grass stuff other than, you know, something that's greener. Uh, it's, it's, it's infield IOT data processing. So letting what Brandon was just talking about, like processing all that data, uh, with Lambda functions in your data center out, out on the internet before bringing it in, into, uh, into, uh, you know, your, your data lake or wherever you store your stuff. Is, is that like some hardware or software that they sell or like, how does that, uh, it's how's like software? Done? Okay. Yeah, it, it's it's software and APIs, um, and I guess the hardware aspect is is the snowballs if if you want those in your data centers. Mm. Makes sense. What what else do you got, Brandon? I think that's it. I think those are. I'm all uh, you know. I'm out of predictions in 2017. What about you, Cote? What are you? You've always got some uh, some good 2017 predictions, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, I hate predictions. I think, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you seem to have removed our 2016 prediction. Well, I, I, you know, I, I went back to try to find it. I couldn't, I, I looked at, I looked at the last podcast we did in uh, 2015 and the first one we did in, uh, what's the year after that? 20, 2016. And I couldn't find it. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's somewhere else, 
but yeah, maybe there is one. We'll have to, we'll have to find out. But I was just talking with an analyst friend of mine today saying like, I'm glad I don't have to write prediction pieces anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways, I think, uh, I, I don't have that many. I think, I think there's, there's two things I've been thinking about, which are like boring. Uh, one of them is like, like as, as, as I've been, uh, talking with people and, and kind of reading the literature out there, I realized that most companies don't actually have like continuous integration in place. Like they might have like Jenkins running to like build them a zip file or something, but they don't really have like a real pipeline kind of end to end that, that they have in place to look at. And, you know, reading, reading through that, uh, I always say his name wrong, which is terrible. I looked it up many times and I can't remember, but you know, it's Gary Govner or Grovner, whatever his name is. It's fantastic. It's an excellent book. One of the books I wrote a review about, like, you kind of read through that and you're like, oh, if I don't have a pipeline in place, I might as well just go home, right? And so, <laughs> <laughs> like, and it really is like the, what a real pipeline is. I think I think people are just now beginning to like realize what that means. And a lot of conversations I've had with people, they're like, oh, I need to get one of those. And I think I think introducing that at scale takes a takes at least a year. And uh, I don't know. It feels like something that that people uh, it's a little more of should than what are going to be doing, but. I've also like looked at some surveys recently and somewhere between like, depending on what you believe and how you count, like I would say between 30 and 50% of people probably have good, good enough continuous integration in place. But that's a, that's a huge amount of people who don't. So yeah, it's, it's probably not fully baked. Yeah, you know, exactly. I, I mean, you know, we, we talked about this last episode. If, if, you know, CICD is, is a proxy for DevOps, if you have to be doing, you know, if you're doing CICD, are you doing DevOps? No, but you, it gets you in the right mindset. Yeah, and, and so, so I, I think I think qualitatively, which is to say, this is all just my subjective gut judgment. Uh, you like when I look at where it looks like everyone is in this state of understanding and planning their adoption of DevOps or whatever you want to call it. Like the next logical step is we need to put continuous integration in place from where I think people are now. So. I assume what's the, that, that that's what they'll work on. And then and then the other thing I was thinking about, uh, other than the fact that I hate predictions, is, uh, you know, also, since I go talk with large organizations and government organizations, and you talk with people in there, there's a lot of waste in IT that's just like crazy, right? Like, I think I've mm-hmm. even regaled some of it. And, and, and it's not only crazy because it happens, but it's crazy because... Pretty much everyone involved knows it's crazy. There, there must be some some psychological condition. People always talk about the uh, the monkeys that you spray with water so they don't climb up to get a banana. It's like it's like monkeys and ladders and bananas. Where like it's not exactly though, but like everyone individually kind of like knows that that it's crazy. But then as a group, they act some other way. I guess that is that a prisoner's dilemma. I don't know. I I, I I'm not that guy. Um, but it's, it's, it seems like, it seems like if, if you had an incoming administration that basically wanted to pay nothing for everything, then, uh, people in IT shops would, uh, start wanting to clean their act up. And you might even be able to like make a deal with, with the devil that's sort of like, we have this new way of operating that's cheaper and has better software come out the other end that breaks a lot of rules in the status quo. I mean, I think that's kind of what we've elected here. So it seems like there might be a weird opportunity, unless, you know, uh, uh, the the uh, the people in charge just kind of totally shit the bed on everything, which is even more likely. But, like, it seems like there'd be a good good movement to, like, why are we doing all this dumb shit? Let's do things in this new way. So that'll be it'll be interesting to mm. see uh, how that pans out. Of course, you could also have the opposite where it's like, I know. I'm going to have a bunch of billionaire bankers decide what we should be doing. <laughs> that, that's what I was about to say. The, the constant tension between uh, disruption for good and disruption for uh, profit-taking. Yeah, yeah. Get that Carl yeah. Jr. guy to run the IT department. I think I'll figure it out. <laughs> Tell you the difference between, between charcoal and grill. Char, char-grill? Mm. What is it? Char-broiled. Char-broiled is an interesting concept. It's the height of marketing. These people should go Coaching. look that up. Okay, taste the meat, not the heat. <laughs> uh, that's that's. I don't know what that means. That's good stuff. <laughs> other than that, other than that, I don't think much anything will change. 
I think uh, I think oh. I think I think you know I saw this as one of your unspoken predictions, Matt Ray. But I this is not so much a prediction, but I am I am in a very Minconian kind of way. I enjoy watching the the uh, the ongoing discussion of AI and machine learning and whatever the fuck all that nonsense is. Like that. Yeah. Uh, that's I I I'm not quite. I still am not sure. This kind of goes back, and I know I sounded like I was being an asshole about GitHub, but I was trying to just in an entertaining way kind of walk through how you would think about it. It's probably a fine company. Uh, but anyways, uh, like I, I just – I still, despite being a subscriber to Ben Thompson and listening and reading all his stuff, I don't see how you make a really big TAM out of AI in the near term. Yeah. Like I just – Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the tasks are that you pay a lot of money for, uh, you know, to use the reoccurring joke when you can't even schedule a meeting between companies. It's just like, I don't, I don't see what it is you're going to be doing. That's not, I'm with you. I, yeah, I think, I think right now we're, we're living in like a stone age and, and people dropped in and they're like, check this out. Lock picks. And people are like, wait, what? And, you know, trust us, this is going to be huge uh, after you guys invent bronze and iron and locks. Um, And and so I think right now it's it's a it's not even like a mindshare land rush. It's a developer of the base products land rush where, you know, there's not even enough people to write the code, yet alone find ways to monetize it and use it in production so. yeah and and, and you, you know because we have a little bit of time to go shortly long here i don't know that's a f- funny phrase uh but you know i i also think i also think a lot of uh ai exuberance gets confused with uh using a computer exuberance like i was talking with someone <laughs> recently and they were saying their job in their organization was um we want to introduce new technologies to solve existing problems where technology is not really used that much right uh, you know, it's an organization that had very slow procurement cycles and it would take them a long time. And they were saying, for example, we met this one group of um, medical people and they had to do training annually and they were keeping track of all the training stuff on paper. So and we're, I'm kind of putting some words in their mouth. They weren't this sarcastic about it. They were like, so we said, have you tried computers? Right. And and so, like, I think I think there's a lot of things that if you added some very rudimentary, you know, if then else blocks, you could kind of blow some people's minds about about being able to do things, which shouldn't really be confused with, like, you know, AI, maybe machine learning. Exactly. Like, but like exactly. analogously. Right. Like, I think I think clearly over the past. What is this? 20, let's say 10 years like advertising has been massively changed the way that that a huge i don't know what the tam the numbers are but huge billions and billions of dollars in advertising is like how was affected and created and driven and destroyed and whatever by like machine learning so like that's something but it's kind mm-hmm. of to my point of like because previously they did not use computers right like there was just right, like there right. was just like you know don draper was like i don't fucking know put it in a magazine right like <laughs> <laughs> it's just like whereas instead if you have some little modicum of intelligence then uh, of course you're going to get huge results well, so that, I, that's, I, that's my rant on ai thank you oh that that's your 2017 prediction yeah computers yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i think inside all inside your rant there's like a really good observation just about the marketing of ai or mar- marketing of machine learning itself is google and you can say, say, say Facebook, right, have, have basically been using machine learning, right, to figure out what ads to target for the last, I guess, Google at 10, 15 years and Facebook five, six years, right? And they've made an enormous amount of money. But no one ever said, you know, never called that machine learning, right? But that's all Google is doing, right? Collecting lots of data about you, seeing on which ads are most effective, and then showing you those most relevant ads. And they've done a great job, and we, it helps us all, and we all make tons of money. So it's interesting that... Now suddenly everyone it just needs a work now that it has machine learning behind it, there's just a lot more marketing of the same concept that's really been around for a long time, but more recently people have been making tons of money with it. So yeah. and sometimes it's just a good time good timing to market good concepts, right? Nothing's really changed. But is it is it people or is it Google and Facebook and Microsoft and Amazon and the have nots? Right? I mean it feels like this is this is like, you know, unicorn Kool-Aid and they're like, trust us, this is going to be huge. And the rest of us are 
hey, how about we put this on computers? Yeah. So I know you asked Brandon that, but like as another example, uh, you know, like uh, like so you hear you hear all this Watson stuff. And and I remember when when Watson was had a lot of chatter other than like, uh, you know, chess and Jeopardy and stuff. Like it was sort of like it's going to be big in hospitals, and 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 that seems legit, right? Like I've I've been to uh, clinics and doctors, and I feel like, but it is another instance where I think just introducing disciplined computer use, maybe even with some machine learning, would be helpful, and and helpful in the sense of it will optimize patients' time and probably money if you let it, right? Like the problem with taking costs out is there's this thing called profit where you can just throw the cost to instead of actually lowering. Uh, the cost, but anyways, like like I have these uh, I have these like mind drug prescription, and I ran out of them, and the doctor won't renew my prescription probably because he has to ask me if I you know like have thoughts of killing myself or usual mind drug stuff, and it's just like I'm pretty sure like a form in Google Apps I could fill out and someone could look at it and click on it and then renew it for me, but instead. There's probably going to be, let's say, five hours of my time, 30 minutes of the doctor's time, and probably net $1,000, like, changing hands for that. And so, like, if you just use computers, boom, all of that is done. And, you know, in theory, I don't kill myself. So it seems like I'm sure there's that's a very small instance. And, like, over and over again, like, in healthcare and, and just every single business, there's probably stuff like that that, like, you could optimize it if you just let yourself have computers. Well, let's hope it happens in 2017. Let's hope that people can, uh, and I think that's the great hope is like, is there, can uh, a, a broad set of developers become trained and competent enough in machine learning mm-hmm. that, that they are essentially unleashed on all the old school industries and lots of, you know, goodness comes of it. I mean, I think that's, again, the very optimistic case of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I really, I personally go back and forth. Like every time I jump into machine learning, I'm like, and I really try to look more into it. it. It seems like, oh, this doesn't. It either seems too hard for the average person to get all this data and actually do something useful to it, or it seems like, oh, it's already been been done, right? And I don't know if I just don't know enough, or I haven't learned enough. I just, I don't know. I always have the sinking feeling of like, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe there's nothing here, right? Yeah. Because it's kind of hard to find. So yeah. We'll, see. well, you know, I mean, in oil and gas, there's lots. There's lots of applications. It's just a. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think there's. The applications are out there. It's finding them and actually having the people to write them. I think that's what exactly. I think that's that's the latter question, right? It's just to say, like, just to do that. It's like, okay, if today, oil and gas is like, yeah, I want to do it, and I've got a budget of over five million dollars. You know, could they really go find people that could build them something that's really, really good? You know, I think that's the open question, right? Yeah. And you know, are there enough tools and enough expertise to make something that's really interesting? I don't know. I mean, that's the hard part of it. Well, before we get to the uh, the uh, recommendations, just just some quick mid rolling and feedback and follow up. So, so uh, I only ha- I'm still going to be talking in Phoenix, January 10th at the uh, Cloud Foundry meetup. You should come see me talking free parking, and uh, you know I just I just booked my travel for it in st- downtown Phoenix at the Galvanize offices. Also here at Pivotal, we just released Pivotal Cloud Foundry 1.9. It adds in Google and Azure support, like if you want to run on there. This is in addition to OpenStack and VMware and AWS. So you can run it wherever you want. Whatever IaaS, IaaS you want, you can run it on it. No problem. And we also, uh, this is the one that's certified to run 250,000 containers concurrently. You know, if you want to show off to your friends or like run a big business, and it also has new auto scaling metrics and uh, and things like that. Unfortunately, uh, there is not yet support for uh, Oracle Cloud or the Alibaba Cloud. If 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 I uh, if I remember, I'll have to go check the release notes though. Uh, there's also so, a bunch of a bunch of updates to Spring Boot. It has some it has like some diagnostic stuff in there that you can put it in. And because I like to say the word, there's some Zipkin updates, and uh, we have. Um, I don't think it's, it's, it's fully done at the moment. We have this concept that's kind of like a lambda thing called tasks that are like one-time processes. And they've got the whole little like architecture, how you're supposed to do it around it in the management framework. So if, if you pay attention, as I'm sure every listener does to the kind of release cadence of Pivotal Cloud Foundry, it comes out, you know, we have, it comes out on a, uh, I think it's like a three to five month, uh, sort of release schedule. If you look at the historics, but we try to come out with many releases a year. So I'm sure we'll be evolving that more. 
So if, there's a much better blog post than I can do justice to it. If you go to cote.io slash PCF19, you see, I took the period out of there. It's not PCF 1.9, just PCF 19. That'll point you to uh, the official longer blog post that won't screw it up like I did, just did. But you should check it out. It's good stuff. And I like getting paid twice a month. So with that, uh, yeah, well, so we have a really nice uh, review from, I. you know, it's a long time since junior high when I took uh, Japanese, and this looks like a Japanese name, but there's a, there's a guy named Kyoto, uh, which I'm sure I said wrong, so I apologize immediately. But he left us a very nice review. Uh, it used a bunch of fancy words, and it's in the kind of tone that I would write something in. So I appreciate that. It's, it's a good one, because you have to read it three times to figure out if it's a compliment or not, which means it gets uh, lots of eyeballs. <laughs> Uh, Twitter, tw- Twitter says he's in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, look at that. That, that uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't want to be like back to being a very white Christmas. But it looks. Uh, looks. Uh, you know. Thank you, Mister Roboto. Anyways, uh, and also, I think I think we can declare that we're in the twenty five hundred downloads an episode range. I uh, we're, we're we're doing pretty well. I think we've consistently. There's the one episode that was in DevOps Days Sydney that I didn't put on the new stack, so it's got less posts or less downloads. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're doing all right. I think I think we're doing well. So with that, sure. Yep. What do you got to recommend for us this week, Matt Ray? Oh no, put me on the spot. Um, yeah, I posted my photos of, of Santa uh, coming up the beach at the uh, the, the Nippers uh, last weekend, but um, <laughs> a. Uh, a, a local listener sent me a a, uh, a nice a nice link to a, a commercial <laughs> for surfing Santas. Bunch of Santas out hitting the beach, and uh, you have to watch it, and you will not guess what it's for. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's 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 definitely uh, entertaining. Um, I, I like and, I like uh, this picture you have in here because Santa's got like. He's got like what I imagine is like the realistic lower stress version of like a secret service detail where he's just kind of like and he's it's an action shot. He's walking through the beach. Maybe he's got like his chief of staff standing there in the front and the two identically dressed secret service people are in the back. And they're so li- low stress because they're just letting this kid you know, stand over there, kind of hang out. But they're just, yeah. uh, you know, it's just everything's cool over here. We don't it's Australia. We can relax. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a lot of fun over here. Yeah, um, yeah that's. Uh, I think I think I'll just leave it at that. Those, that's my picks. How about yourself, Brandon? Well, it's the end of a one year and beginning of a new, another one, so that's always a good time um, when you're seeing family and friends to uh, you know do some uh, home IT cleanup is what I like to call it. So. Mm. When you're out visiting your uh, your loved ones, your non-IT professionals in your life, uh, a couple things you can always remind them of. Like one, uh, backups. Simple things here. If you have an Apple, use the Time Machine. I think Time Machine with multiple disks. Even that feature's been around for a while, but just plug into USB disk. That way, you know they actually have a uh, a couple local backups. I've I've been using CrashPlan again. Very simple program. Almost anyone I think can install and use. That way. All your stuff is in the cloud, which is also very nice. And then, um, you know, when you're given uh, like old, uh, decrepit computers from loved ones who are just like don't know what to do with them, they want to get them recycled. I ran across this uh, uh, kind of this. I don't know how to say exactly, but I think it's Derek Boot and Nuke, so DBAN, which is just a good. Uh, CD. You just basically put it in the drive, boot to the CD, and then you know it has a bunch of like sophisticated options to just nuke everything on the hard drive. That way you can like get all your private data off oh, there, nice. blow away your uh, Windows stuff, um, Mac stuff, whatever, and then you can safely recycle the computer, knowing that um, you don't have lots of sensitive data on there, and that's free. So DBAN, I think there's a bunch of them out there. That one I I seem to like the most. Uh, so always oh, fine, you know. You're going to get at the Christmas parties if people know you work in IT and maybe they're older and they've got some questions, they need some help, they need a printer set up. You know, you can always go in there. And if you want, if you're really feeling generous, you can tell them to uh, put on two-factor authentication and they'll be totally confused. <laughs> they won't know what you're talking about. And as soon as you start explaining it, that's when you just go go for the eggnog or the bar. Right? you just like, yeah. sorry. You, said, you say, sorry that you said that. And you say, just do the backup. Just do yeah. the backup. Yeah, so those are my recommendations for 2017. Backups yeah. and 2FA. Yeah, yeah, I wish, but 2FA. <laughs> backup, backup is here. Backup. All is, right. 
is definitely peak of productivity. 2FA, oh, I think well into the trough of disillusionment. So, but good luck. Try if you can. Yeah, that's good advice, especially the uh, the uh, automatic rollback plan that, that you went over there. It's, that's some ITEL level three planning. Well, my recommendation uh, this year, so it, it, it is, uh, you know, if you're looking for a last minute gift to ask for or give, you should you should get this Stratechery newsletter. It's like $100 a year. And I, I forget all the specifics, but you, there's there's some stuff that are that Ben Thompson writes that you can you can read. Now you know he can be a little tedious, and uh, I you know I don't know what the word is, but it's it's that situation. There must be another name for this. Where like if you yourself are an expert at something that someone else is writing about, it can be a little eye rolly. So whenever he gets into the infrastructure area, it, it can become uh, annoying. But what's really nice about uh, about getting the additional access to uh, to him is you get to read all of his content and i think what's valuable i mean i think i think uh i would say on on the whole he's like the best it analyst out there at the moment and the reason that is is it's not always because of his content there's some other people who have better content but the breadth that he has and uh his ability to kind of show his work to walk you through how he came to conclusions so you can learn to it i think is is helpful and in general, unless it's like a series of six uh, podcasts about Facebook, his podcast is delightful as well. So, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. You can find the show notes for this episode at softwaredefinedtalk/84.com. You could leave us a comment there in Discus. Right now, we have two comments. One of them telling me basically that I'm an asshole, and the other one praising us. And, <laughs> Sorry, Cote, <laughs> and and suggesting that uh, suggesting some wonderful stuff to look at. So we're we're batting pretty well. Is that a, is that a 500? I I don't know sports ball, but I think I think it's pretty good. Uh, you know why do they say dot 500? Like you, you know per, percentage people who don't express things in percentages and they use basis points and st- like they're just showing off. Like we all understand percentages, so. Well, anyways, you should go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 84 to see the full show notes. Now, this is going to be an express publish, so I'm not going to mark everything up in Markdown because certain people, they don't do that in our show notes. And you have to go in and do it for them, but it takes a long time. So I'm just going to post this because I'm trying to get to my family, you know, unlike, obviously, the intentions that other people who don't know how to use Markdown have. <laughs> Sorry, Kote. <laughs> that, was, that was delightful for me. Uh, but if you want to, if you want to help us out, uh, it would be great if you just tell your friends about us and make sure you're subscribed to it. You can always write something in Twitter that, uh, that's supportive. Talk to us in person. And it's also really nice if you go to iTunes and leave a, a rating or a review. Or if you are listening in Overcast, as most people are, as I like to say, I have no idea what it actually does, but it looks good. You hit that little recommendation star in there if you scroll down past our delightful show notes. I mean, clip art. And with that, we'll see everyone next year.